person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter says, we as Christians, we are coming to him. And that is to say that we are worshipfully, humbly, reverently approaching the person, the reality of the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And what that means is that when we come to Jesus as Christians, we are expecting, like again, like Sophie, we are expecting Jesus to be who he is and to do what he does. He's the very one. He is the very one put forth by God the Father. As Think of this as the wrath-bearing sacrifice for our sins when he suffered and died on the cross. He was buried, and three days later he rose again, and that is good. That is the goodness of God. But it gets better. The very one, he is the very one who is anointed and appointed in the eternal counsel of God to physically, spiritually pay the price for my sin. Yet while God anointed and appointed this Christ, mankind in general has what? Rejected him. Think of it. We talked last week of so many of the religious leaders in Judaism who had witnessed his very works. They saw with their own eyes. The work of Jesus. They heard with their own ears the teaching. Oh, what, how I would have loved, I think, to be there and see him walk on water and witness him feed thousands and listen to his voice ring from that sermon on the mount. And they heard it and they saw it and they rejected him. But listen, there's something about this Christ Isn't it? There's something about this Christ that does not allow you and I to reject him. Praise his name. We're not able to reject this Christ. We have found ourselves, brothers and sisters, coming to him. That's what Peter says. We're coming to him. Believing him. Trusting him. And we pointed out that this coming to Christ is not just a one-time thing. But rather, it is a perpetual course of life. We have come to Christ, but we are always coming to Christ. We're always approaching Him, expecting Him to be who He is and to do what He does. Beloved, this is the manner of discerning the goodness of God. For we know He will never cast aside anyone who comes to Him. He'll never cast aside anyone who comes to him. So you might say, well, if this is true, why do I suffer so? And we've already dealt with that in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, haven't we? we he said, you, you have been grieved by various trials. And then he tells us, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory at the honor of revelation, at the, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Trials reveal to us that which is really precious. How so? This way. Even when a Christian is sorely tried... He or she doesn't turn from Christ. 
Even when we cry out to him and we find that the trial remains, we find that we can't turn from him. Why? Because we say, Jesus is worth more to me than that trial. Or maybe this way, Jesus is worth more to me than my suffering. And that proves the the, the genuineness of our faith, but even more than that, it proves the extreme preciousness, indeed, the supreme preciousness of Jesus Christ. He is more precious to us than our present comfort. He is more precious to us than our present relief. And so what we're doing here, Peter has said, if indeed, in verse 3 of chapter 2, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, if indeed, and and I said that that taste is that, that ability to discern, if indeed you have discerned the goodness of the Lord, and we're asking, how do we discern? How does a Christian who is suffering, who is being tried, discern the goodness of God? We said last week, first way you discern the goodness of God, that the Lord is good, is in the person of Jesus Christ. And when we begin to understand these five truths, what we're going to do is we're going to find ourselves more motivated to yearn for spiritual nourishment so that we can mature and grow up into the salvation that he called us to in the beginning. Let me read the text and then we'll continue. 1 Peter chapter 2, I'm going to start in verse 3 and read through to verse if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good as you come to him a living stone rejected by men but in the sight of God chosen and precious you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ for it stands in scripture Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Let's pray. Take the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart and make them acceptable through Jesus. Amen. So we looked last week at at tasting or discerning the goodness of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Now today I want to move on to looking at and considering our position in Christ. And and we're going to walk through this. This This is... A very, very rich text in 1 Peter. And so I don't want to miss anything. So we're just going to take it word by word, phrase by phrase. First part of chapter 2, verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. And he's talking here about our position in Christ. What do I mean, our position in Christ? I'm referring to our position in Christ in terms of being united to Christ in terms of being united to Christ. So consider our union with Christ. Whenever you talk about our position in Christ, you have to talk about the believer's union to Christ. I'll say it, and then I'll try to explain it. Believer in Christ, you and I are united to Christ. 
We're talking about ways to discern the goodness of the Lord. And our position of union with Christ is one of the clearest and best ways to discern the goodness of the Lord. Charles Spurgeon said this, there is no joy in this world like union with Christ. (laughs) The more we can feel it, the happier we are. You've probably heard the expression before, union with Christ, united to Christ. But what in the world does it mean? One man said, the expression union with Christ refers to the believer's solidarity to or association with Christ by the Holy Spirit through faith by virtue of which believers partake of his benefits. John Murray, in a classic work, said it this way, Union with Christ is a phrase used to summarize several different relationships between believers and Christ through which Christians receive every benefit of salvation. Relationships including the fact that we are in Christ, Christ is in us, we are like Christ, and we are with Christ. Now think about the analogy, the picture that Peter has been drawing. He says, Jesus is a living stone. And then furthermore, he says, a cornerstone or the cornerstone. That's what he says in verse 6 and verse 7. That is to say that Jesus Christ is the very foundation of God's people. He is the one on whom God's congregation, the church, is built both individually and corporately. And Peter says, You yourselves. He's not simply speaking to individuals now. He's speaking to the church as a whole. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. I'll just stop right there and think about this. There is a cornerstone, right? The foundation stone. It's what gives the building strength, significance, stability. All of the angles are determined on the suitability of the perfection of that cornerstone. And it is on this stone that all of the other stones are not only built, but it's on this stone that all the other stones actually depend. You see, each stone of the building is nothing on its own. You know what a stone is outside of a building? It's just a rock. But when it's put into its place, Upon a cornerstone, or can I say it this way? When it is united to that foundation, when it is united together with that cornerstone, that cornerstone gives it stability, it gives it significance, it gives it strength. Keep your finger there in 1 Peter. Just turn back with me to Ephesians chapter 2 for a moment. I'm really eager for you to get this picture. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now look, built on the foundation, but now he says, of the apostles and prophets, Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. The Lord Jesus is called the cornerstone, the one who brings the 
two walls together and upon whom the, 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 the foundation is built. Jesus is called the cornerstone, but in this case, Paul says that the apostles and the prophets are the foundation. What can that mean? In what way could the apostles serve as the foundation of the church? Well, let me tell you, it's not they themselves which is the foundation. It is their doctrine. It is their teaching. That's why the early church, Acts chapter 2, devoted themselves to the apostles' what? Doctrine. It is the apostles' teaching that serves as the foundation of the church, which is the truth about Jesus Christ. It is through them that God revealed the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. So Peter, back in 1 Peter chapter 2, is saying that we are being built on the cornerstone through the apostolic message that we heard. It is through the message of the gospel, which is the written work Uh, the written uh, record of God's work in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's how we came to Christ, and that's how we are united with Christ through faith. We're speaking of union with Christ. And what I mean is this. I'm talking about the union with Christ. Here's what I'm talking about. The basis of our being called the people of God is not found in our personality It is not found in our ability. It is not found in our sufficiency at all. But it is only ever found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is good. We're talking about how to discern the goodness of God. You discern the goodness of God by recognizing your position in God. Christ and your position when you come to Christ and coming to Christ your position is such that you are in union with him this is the goodness of God that God listen considers our lives our righteousness our sufficiency to find its basis in Christ not ourselves His person, His work instead of us. You can discern the incredible goodness of the Lord that not only did the Lord Jesus Christ come and live and die a sacrificial death and bury, He was buried and that He rose again, but listen, God has united us to Christ such that He is the foundation of our eternal hope and glory. In this way, you are united united to glory or to, to Christ. Christ in you, what? The hope of glory. Now, speaking to a crowd like this this morning, there's probably some differing level of intellectual-ness. And I just revealed mine. (laughs) Some level of intellectual achievement here. Some differing level. There's some who are up here. I mean, you're bright. And then there's some down here. Praise God that he does not base my sufficiency on my intellectual ability. In a, in a room this size, in a crowd this size, there's probably differing levels 
of, of just human acts of goodness and religious acts of goodness. Praise God that he does not base whether or not he accepts us on our level of human goodness or on our achievement of human goodness or on our, our achievement of, of good works. Rather, what he does is he unites us to Christ. He builds us up in Christ. Coming to Christ, you are continually being built up on Christ as a spiritual house. You are continually finding that you are united to the Lord Jesus Christ such that the basis of our hope, indeed the confidence before God, is not on us at all, but only ever Jesus Christ. Think about our position. When you come to faith in Christ, you are being built up on Christ, in Christ, united with Christ or united to Christ. But there's a whole nother level of this. Not just union to Christ, but identification with Christ. In the same vein as we talk about union with Christ, you could consider your, on uh, the same uh, level that we consider union with Christ, we could also consider our identification with Christ. Now look back at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. Now look what he says. You yourselves, like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. You yourselves like living stone. Christ is the living stone and now we become living stones. We are united to Christ. We are united to him and to his life and we are now identified with the same quality that he is identified with. So Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him because he's called the living stone We're called living stones. We are so identified with Christ that God thinks of us as he thinks of his own dear son. Paul said this. Uh, I'm sorry, Peter said this. He has granted to us his precious and very great promises. Now listen to this. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. A Christian comes to share in the nature of God in the sense that we possess eternal life as a new creature in Christ. Colossians 3, you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. This is just amazing. We are identified with Christ, united to but identified with Christ. Maybe you have an older brother, older sister, and you go to school, and maybe that older brother or older sister wasn't exactly, uh, you know, a, a good citizen. And that teacher comes up to you and says, oh, your brother's Bob Fry." Imagine Wayne, Wayne goes, and and the teacher said, your brother's Bob Fry. All right, I'm going to mark this one out. I'm going to keep my eye on this one, right? No, no shade at Bob Fry. How terrible it would be to go through life being identified with our faults 
and our failures to only ever be remembered as, hey, aren't you that guy who cut down that tree on top of the power lines and your neighbors were without power for days? Yeah, yeah, that would, that, that would be, that'd be me. Imagine going through life being identified with your faults and your failures. And he says, your position in Christ is not only one of union to, but identification with. Christ is your life. We're so identified with Christ that his death is our death and his life is our life. His righteousness is our righteousness. And as a believer, you stand before God just as righteous as his own dear son. Not just that, but he lives in us and through us in the presence and activity of his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit produces in us a Christ-like fruit which actually resembles him. And part of our coming to Christ is living in a more constant state of yieldedness to the Holy Spirit as we seek to see life our life in the image of Christ. We, we come to share in the life of Christ as this incredible expression of God's goodness, which is not on the basis of our merit at all, but solely on the basis of His grace. But listen, in no place else is the subject of the believer's identity with Christ so clearly laid out as in this passage when Peter says, you are being built up as a spiritual house. Now, keep this in mind when you listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. He said, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in Christ. We are his house. That's how he looks at you. As a believer in Christ, Not just how he looks at you as an individual, but as he looks at us today, he looks down at us and says, everyone who is coming to Christ, he says, mine, that's my house. If an athlete wants to state his authority, maybe some basketball player goes in and he does, you know, a windmill dunk and he stands before the camera and goes, this is my house. It's exactly what Christ says about this people. He comes in here and he looks over us and he says, this is my house. You are identified with me. And as Christ goes, so I go. As Christ goes, so we go. Ignatius, who was an early pastor in Antioch and a martyr of the second century, wrote to the Ephesian church and this is what he said. He said, you are stones of a temple prepared beforehand for the building of God the Father, hoisted up to the heights by the crane of Jesus Christ, which is the cross, using as a rope the Holy Spirit. God is, by His Holy Spirit, through the work of Christ, gathering together living stones, uniting them to Christ, and identifying them with Christ, placing them in just the right place at just the right time in His building. And what is His building? His building is the church. The very called out ones by God through their God-wrought understanding of who, of who Christ is 
and what he has done. We come to Christ expecting him to be who he is and do what he does. And that's a God-wrought understanding. I tell you, God is good. If you can hear it this morning, God is good. Why is God good? God is good because of our position in Christ. United to Him, identified with Him. But He's not only good because of our position in Jesus Christ. He is good because of our purity from Jesus Christ. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Verse 5, to be a holy priesthood. To be a holy priesthood. That's good. So what is so good about being a holy priesthood? Well, I'll tell you what's so good about being a holy priesthood. It is the holy priesthood. What do I mean? There is such a privilege and such an honor that we have in Christ that we are made into a holy priesthood. And this is an expression of his wonderful goodness. What do I mean? Think about the words that he uses. Holy. (laughs) Holy. What is that? It's sanctified. Set apart for a purpose. I was so helped this week listening to a message that MacArthur preached. And he said this. He said, consider who it was to whom the Old Testament priesthood was given. To what tribe was that priesthood given? It's given to the tribe of Levi. A right good bunch. Look with me at Genesis chapter 49 for a moment. Genesis chapter 49 and verse 5. Simeon and Levi are brothers. And that's as good as it gets because it goes downhill from here. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger. Men of wrath. Men of cruelty. MacArthur said this, he said, Isn't it interesting that when the Lord chose his priests, he chose a tribe that was known for his cursedness? He chose a tribe that was known for its violence, a tribe that was known for its sinfulness. The priests were chosen, he says, from the feeble, from the weak, from the sinful. Look back at Hebrews chapter 7 now for a moment. Hebrews chapter 7, go ahead and turn there. 
Hebrews chapter 7 and look at verse, when you get there, look at verse 28. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 28. Look what he says. For the law appoints men in what? In their weakness as high priests. Paul said, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, consider your calling, brothers. Now many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are so that the things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Peter says to those to whom he's writing, he says, You once were not a people. But now, you are people. You are God's people. You see what Peter's doing here? He says that you've been built into a house of God to become a holy, that is a cleansed, a forgiven priesthood. This is good. That God would take anyone who is coming to Christ and make him or her holy. Not known now for your violence and not known for your anger. But now, people known for humility and grace and mercy for their Christ-likeness. And that's good. Hmm. What do priests do, by the way? Priests what? priests make sacrifices. Priests represent people to God. Prophet represents God to the people, but the priest represents people to God. Make sacrifices. And that leads us to the fourth truth that will help us to understand, to discern the goodness of God. Not just the person of Jesus Christ or our position in Jesus Christ or even our purity from Jesus Christ, but our purpose for Jesus Christ. What is our purpose? First Peter chapter 2, verse 5. You yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Why? To Offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. (laughs) What is our purpose? Our purpose, and this is the goodness of God. This is how you discern the goodness of God in Him telling us what our purpose is for Christ. And that is namely to offer acceptable sacrifices. What are acceptable sacrifices? Remember uh, what Paul said in Romans chapter 12? I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a what? A living sacrifice. There, there, are, there are sacrifices that he accepts. The writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 12 that we are to serve God acceptably. What, is the, what are the sacrifices that he accepts? He accepts the sacrifice of your, your body. Your physical body. Not a dead sacrifice, 
but a living sacrifice. Can you imagine? He has given us the purpose in Christ and for Christ of serving him with our body in a very tangible, material way. My body is yours, Lord. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, he says this. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. What are the sacrifices? What are the acceptable sacrifices? Not only your body, but your praise. Your praise. What is your praise? It's not just saying that over and over and over again, but it is particularly calling attention to the attributes of God, exalting Him, lifting Him up, calling attention to Him. In Hebrews 13, 16, he says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. What are the sacrifices of God? Your body, your praise, your doing good, your righteous acts, your generosity, Romans, I'm not going to go there now because of time, but Romans 15, 16, even our efforts at evangelism to bring souls to Christ is a pleasing, acceptable sacrifice to Him. That is our purpose. But notice, he says, our purpose in Christ is to make acceptable sacrifices, but not just any sacrifice. An acceptable sacrifice, what does he say? Through Jesus Christ. That means on account of Christ. In other words, the only offerings that are acceptable to God are those which are on account of Christ. An offering on account of Christ, not on account of a guilty conscience. Not an offering on account of, I'm trying to leverage my standing with God, but an offering, a sacrifice that is on account of Jesus Christ, through the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything else is unacceptable. Every word of praise that is not because of Jesus Christ is unacceptable to God. Our great purpose for Christ is to so glorify Him and to so draw attention to Him that as a holy priesthood we go around ministering to Him for His glory. And this is an incredible honor. This is good. You say, well, Joe, what do you mean? I, I mean this. That he would, through Christ, take my piddly little efforts at evangelism and my limited generosity and my often failing righteous acts and even my finite expressions of exalting him in his eternal, infinite greatness and even in offering up my weak little nothing of a body to him. And God says, that pleases me. It's the idea that we have experienced before when, when your little child in church on Sunday or any time draws you a picture and that really is just a bunch of scribbly gobbledygook. It's nothing. And here she brings that to you and says, here, I made that for you. And, and you don't look at that and go, what is this mess? 
You say, oh, you did that for me? That's so good. I love that. Thank you. And that's exactly what God does with our little efforts. Our little songs we sing, and maybe we're off tune, maybe we're on tune, maybe we're singing too fast, maybe we're not singing fast enough. Our little, our little efforts at evangelism, God says, oh, that's through Christ. Thank you. You did that. Ah, so good. I accept that. Can you imagine a God this good who doesn't look at it and go, back to the drawing board, kid. I'm going to draw this to a close this morning. We'll finish up next week looking at uh, the promises we have from Jesus Christ. But I want to draw this to a close and I want you to think about the incredible goodness of our God. The, the goodness of our God in the person of of Jesus Christ, the goodness of God in our position in Jesus Christ, that is that, that we are united to him and we are identified with him. Our purity from Jesus Christ, he looks at us as we're coming to him and he says, holy, you're a holy priesthood. Our purpose for Jesus Christ to allow us to offer up acceptable sacrifices to him through Jesus Christ that are just the joy and the delight of God. And I want to ask ourselves, what is the big takeaway? What do we do as a result of this? And I'll tell you what it is. Brothers and sisters, you and I must learn to live under this reality. The battle of the Christian life is a battle to bring our hearts, okay, and our minds into subjection to these things, into the submission, into a yieldedness to these things. And everything in your life and everything in this culture and everything in this world is screaming at you saying, no, no, don't go there. And God's saying, come, 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 all you who are labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Bring this to the feet of Christ. Bow down before the Lordship of Christ. Kneel the knee. Bow your head. Submit your heart. Give your mind to this truth. That what truth? That God is good in the person of Jesus Christ. That God is good in the fact that he would give us a position in Christ. Unite us to him and identify us with him. And that God is good the purity that we have from Christ and even the purpose we have for Christ. And go this week and everything you say, by God's grace, everything you say, everything you do, listen, moms, wives, if, you, if you're the cook in your house, every meal you cook, you do because God is good. Every dish you wash, you wash because God is good. Husbands, you go to work tomorrow and you labor at that job and you get dirty and you get sweaty or you get, you get bombarded with more work than you can do, but you say, you know what? God is good. And I do this in light of the goodness of God. And kids, you go to, well, you're not going to go to school probably unless your mom and dad are a slave driver, but you're going to play this week, you're going to go to the pool, whatever you're going to do, and you're going to do it because God is good. And everything we do and say and think, we do because God is good. And that would, 
lead to such an incredible testimony in this world. Because Peter says, you know what we're doing? You are proclaiming the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. And all the earth will know that the Lord is God. There is none other. Have you come to Christ? Have you come to this good God, submitting only to Him? And are you coming to Him? Are you approaching Him worshipfully, reverently, humbly, saying, Christ, here's, here's another problem, here's another issue, here's, I, do what you do, be who you are and do what you do. Are you coming to Him? That's the only way to discern that the Lord is good. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, having no righteousness of our own, but only that which is in Christ. And ask now, O oh God, that we would see, that, that we would discern how good you are to us. To put forth your own Son as the propitiation for our sins. Then by grace through faith to to put us in Christ and Christ in us. To to make us pure, a pure priesthood. uh, Your own temple, your own house. And to allow us such a privilege as this as to make offering to you that you love and you delight in. Give us a broken, a contrite heart as we think about these things. May your name get all glory. We pray this in Jesus' name and together all God's people said.